0: Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. You know, people get stressed out about big decisions, especially when they think that it's a final decision and it's something that's going to really impact their life in a big way. Final exams, final reports, even final answers. Remember that show, I think it's still on, the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? It's like, is this your final answer? I remember watching a clip once of, of someone who, who was convinced they knew the answer, and so they immediately said the answer, and they said, final answer, and then all of a sudden they're like, no, I didn't mean that, and the host is like, I'm sorry, but you said final answer, bye-bye. Well, today what we're going to see is the biggest issue of all time, the eternal destination of every person, and the final outcome, which was decided before the foundation of the world, that the final and definite and correct answer is God's answer. So I want you to stand with me as we read God's Word. We're going to read Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And we are really going to see God's final answer of, of, of greatest magnitude. The chief of all end times passages is this one. And by the way, this is the 11th and final installment of our Living in the Last Days series, that series within a series in Matthew chapters 24 and 25. Our aim all the way through has been how can we love Jesus more while we long for his return and live for his glory. So today we're going to read 31 to 36. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. To one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word, and Lord, your word is so strong, and your spirit is is in believers to lead us into all the truth, and I, I pray, Lord, that you would... Would lead us today, you would teach us today, you would make us the people you want us to be. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. So we're in the last part of the Sermon on the Mount of Olives, the Olivet Discourse. It's Jesus' final preaching before the cross. And he has already said a lot, he's already said that there are going to be signs that are just merely the beginning of birth pains. They're going to look like the end, but they're just the beginning of the end. And there will be trouble and abomination and desolation and horrible idolatry increasing at alarming rates. There will be the promised, assured, imminent return of Christ. While we were in this study, we also went over to Romans 8 one week. We looked at the certainty of our hope in Christ. That, that as we experience present suffering, we can also anticipate future glory. And in fact, the anticipation of the future glory is what, is what helps us through present suffering. Back in, in, in Matthew 24, we saw that only God knows the day or the hour of Christ's return. We saw several parables. The parable of the ten virgins that, that taught us watch and be ready even if he comes back sooner than you think. And the parable of the talents which says watch and be ready even if he comes back later than you think he will we also went over to first thessalonians chapter five and looked at the coming day of the lord a day of merciful blessing for believers a day of unleashed fury and wrath on unbelievers last week we went into second timothy chapters three and four and we talked about how do you live faithfully in the last days before christ's return And what we saw there is that God wants every believer to be engaged with other believers, pointing each other to Christ, that each should find and be a mentor, discipling and helping and and pointing others to Christ so that they might grow and be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Today what we see is what Jesus said last of all before the cross he reserves his strongest words for last about what's going to happen and how things are going to play out and he uses story language he compares the final judgment to a shepherd separating sheep from goats but it's surprisingly not a parable a lot of people call this a parable the only parabolic elements are really the shepherd and the sheep and the goats what this is is an exact description of the final judgment of the future ordained by god at that time according to jesus what's going to happen is a very serious passage it is a very moving passage and according to jesus four things are going to happen four very simple yet profound things First of all, Jesus, verse 31, is going to come in magnificent glory. He's going to to return, and it will be marked by great power and great authority, and he will be seen in all his awesome greatness. Now, there's a big contrast, by the way, between his first and second comings first coming in obscurity, second in universal glory. It will be a revelation of the greatest glory imaginable. Kind of like supermoon that we're seeing at night right now. Jesus will be supersized for all to see. Verse 31, he says, when the Son of Man comes, it will happen. And when it happens, this Messiah, this Savior, this King is going to come in his glory and all the angels will be with him. He's not coming alone. Myriads upon myriads of angels will be with him and he is going to sit on his glorious throne isn't it great today that we have a sample throne here for vacation bible school tomorrow i don't picture this kind of throne when i picture the throne that jesus will sit on though i picture the most massive glorious pure gold throne that you could ever imagine that is just as 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 amazing as it can be jesus is going to come back he is going to sit on his throne and it will not be because he's tired from the long journey It will be because he is sitting down in judgment on the nations. It says that the nations are going to be gathered to him. He's going to sit on his glorious throne. That is a place of honor. That is a place of of authority. The king's place. Where the king sits to render judgment. Now you know when you have a meeting with someone who is important or powerful, you get really stressed out and you're You're getting intimidated just thinking about it and you're wondering what's going to happen. You get called into the boss's office. You get called into the principal's office. You get called in the pastor's office and and it's like, hey, I just want to bless you. I just want to pray for you. But what if you're called before a grand jury to testify? You're like, what am I going to say? Now being brought before a king can be terrifying. Think about it. Belshazzar, Daniel chapter 5. Here is the king, powerful king, human king, and God, the king of the universe, writes him a note on a wall. The guy is terrified. His knees are knocking. Daniel 5, 6 says his knees are like shaking and knocking together. In the presence of the king of kings, the kings of the earth tremble. In fact, these words, the Son of Man coming in his glory, the angels with him sitting on the throne," it really takes us back to Daniel chapter seven. It says this in verse nine: Thrones were placed, the ancients of days took his seats his seat, His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Imagine a flaming throne. it is so bright and 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 powerful it says behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man he came to the ancient of days was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all people's nations and languages would serve him everlasting dominion jesus is going to come back in all his magnificent glory and by the way dignitaries when they arrive they don't take the bus nor do you wear your grubbies when you meet them it is an important occasion this will be the most important of occasions the throne is the reserved seat for jesus he will come in magnificent glory that's the first thing that's going to happen then the second thing that's going to happen is he's going to separate his people from satan's people verses 32 and 33 the righteous and the unrighteous will be on different sides of the aisle the nations are going to be divided in two verse 32 before him will be gathered all the nations they will be summoned before the king and he will separate one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats we don't know a lot about goats they're not a common animal in the new testament but in the Old Testament, 70% of the references about goats concerned their use as animals for sacrifice. Such as that goats um, offered for the sin offering, uh, the scapegoat, where in a symbolic way sin was removed from the community. The goat was sent out into the place of death, out into the desert. Now in those days, a shepherd would be out in the countryside with his animals and the sheep and the goats would all intermingle throughout the day. At night, they were often separated because sheep could tolerate the cold weather. The goats had to be herded together to to keep warm. But now, Jesus is taking these simple pastoral images and details, and he's going to load them up with meaning. Kind of like a loaded baked potato. It's like everything's going to be heaped on to this idea of the sheep and the goats. Verse 33 he's going to place the sheep on his right, that would be your left. And the goats will be on the left. Now the right is the position of honor, position of authority, blessing. And I find it really interesting that just before Jesus goes and, be, and is judged by humanity at the cross, he says there is a day coming when he will judge everyone. Jesus is going to come in a magnificent way, in glory, and then he's going to separate his people from Satan's people. The next thing that's going to happen is that Jesus is going to welcome his people into the presence of God. Verses 34 to 40. He's going to bring his children home to heaven. Their hope. He's going to bless his people with everlasting peace. Look at verse 34. The king will say to those on his right, come. It's like when Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's inviting them to come for blessing. He says, Come, you who are blessed, which literally means to be to be spoken well of. You're blessed by my Father. The Father is speaking well of you. Come, you're invited, because you are inheriting the kingdom that's prepared before the foundation of the world. So you're being summoned in a good way, you're being spoken well of by God, and you're an heir. You're getting an inheritance. It's, it's what is rightfully due you as part of the family. It's prepared for you. Like Jesus said in John 14, I go and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you to myself. Here God is receiving his people to himself. And from the foundation of the world, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world is now receiving those who were chosen before the foundation of the world. All of grace But then Jesus says, why? It would have been much easier for us to hear these words. The reason you're going to get let in now is because you believed in my finished work on the cross. That's not what this says, though. Look at verse 35. He says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. Naked, clothed me. Sick, visited me. In prison, you came to me interesting response from the righteous in verse 37 they didn't know they said wait a minute lord when did we see when all those kind of situations and in verse 40 jesus says truly i say to you literally amen i say to you as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers you did it to me who are the least of these we need to know who's he talking about now there's an obvious thing here it's basically people who are in a variety of needy situations right hungry thirsty sick impoverished imprisoned but who exactly is he referring to now there have been entire ministries built around this verse and applied to orphans and the homeless and immigrants and the poor and prisoners so is he referring to all needy people in the whole world is this a command to care for the needy of the whole world we need to know the answer to that now these verses focus our attention on the hungry the thirsty the naked the sick and those in prison and it's good that our attention should be focused there it speaks volumes to us in a culture where people in these kind of situations are often pushed all the way onto the periphery of our vision oh i can't see them therefore they don't exist It's very important for us to know what Jesus is talking about. Now, we know it's very important for us to care for people in need. It's more important for us to know and understand Jesus correctly. What is Jesus saying? Here, Jesus, the Son of Man and the King, declares, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Does this mean that somehow when we serve those in need, we serve Christ? does it mean then that that is a distinguishing mark maybe even the distinguishing mark of a true Christian now that's how this passage is is usually interpreted and at one level I I don't want to challenge it because we need to know how how important it is to to know for those who know and love Jesus should show it in their lives and they should show compassion for others we should do that we should show sacrificial service we should self-deny we should do these things now the bible says a lot about caring for the poor a lot a lot of things you can go to a lot of different verses and it's a lot about caring for the poor and the needy but that is unlikely the meaning of this passage It is is highly possible, and I'm pretty convinced that this has happened, that in the Christian community, we've gotten latched on to some some really um, tender-hearted wording that we have taken and used in all sorts of -of out-of-context ways. Now, how many times have you heard me say, context is important? Context, context, context. What is the context of this passage? It is the last judgment. It is whether you're going to heaven or hell. Now, if you say this is all the, the needy people in the world that the church is called to, to minister to, which, by the way, the Bible doesn't teach that the church is, is responsible for all the needy people in the world. But, if that's where you go, then you're gonna have a temptation to go to a conclusion that says, well, as long as I reach out to needy people, I'm going to go to heaven. And salvation is not by works, it's by grace. Now there are two elements in this text that matters for us. Context is important. Wording reveals that there is another way of interpreting this passage that is very plausible. And again, in the context of judgment, first of all, Jesus is insisting that what was done by the sheep and not done by the goats was done for one of the least of these his brothers my brothers every time jesus uses this term this this phrase he's referring to his disciples now there's an overwhelming evidence that this expression does not refer to everyone who is suffering Though the church needs to be careful and say, well, does that mean I'm not supposed to care for people who are suffering? No. The Bible is very clear that we should care for people who are suffering. But the, the, the evidence is that this is not generic compassion that's being commanded. As important as that is, mark that down. Generic compassion for those in need, for the sick and the hungry and, and the naked and the imprisoned and all, and all in trouble is important. What this is pointing to is the one who has shown compassion to followers of Christ. Who take the gospel to those in need. And there's a second part of this passage that, that clarifies things as well. Both the sheep and the goats are surprised at what is said about them. If this was just generic compassion, it would be very, very um, kind of wild that they would be surprised. Jesus pronounces his verdict in terms of the way they've treated the least of these brothers of mine. So if he's talking about generic compassion, it's going to be hard to see how anyone could be that, all, all that surprised. The point is that Jesus' identification with these people is, is the important part. Now think about this. When Paul, who was first called Saul, was persecuting Christians, who was he persecuting? Jesus! Acts chapter 9, Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, Jesus was was speaking to to Saul because Saul was persecuting Christ's followers. Those who brought the gospel. And therefore, he, he was rejecting the gospel and rejecting Christ at that point in his life before Jesus saved him. So the idea is this. Real followers of Christ receive gospel messengers, therefore they receive the gospel, therefore they receive Christ. Others who reject gospel messengers, therefore reject the gospel, therefore reject Christ. That's what separates sheep from goats. So I believe that the context in the passage points to to the least of these as referring to Christians. And all Christians are to be preaching the gospel. So my brothers, this exclusive term for disciples goes right along with Matthew 10, where Jesus sent them out and said, expect suffering. I'm, t- I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He says in, in chapter 24, you're going to get tribulation, and you'll be killed and hated by all nations on account of me. Keyword on account of me. And I think Galatians 6.10 opens things up for us as well and clarifies things, because to believers it says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. And just like back in in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, To welcome a disciple of his is to welcome him. To receive a disciple of his is to receive him. Because it means that you're, you're receiving the gospel message they bring, and therefore you're receiving Christ. It, it means you're, pre- you're playing for his team. Now, Paul called himself the least of the apostles because he persecuted the church. Here's the deal Jesus is coming in magnificent glory. Jesus is going to separate his people from Satan's people. Then Jesus is going to welcome his people into the presence of God. And then, finally, here's what he's going to do. He's going to send Satan's people into eternal punishment. Verses 41 to 46. He's going to banish the unworthy into everlasting fire. He's going to cast out the wicked into hell. Verse 41. He's going to say to those on his left, depart it's the exact opposite of come it's get out of here you're not welcome you know skit and skedaddle you're out, you're out of here he says you're, you're cursed they're not blessed they're cursed and they're going into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels they're not going into heaven prepared for those chosen before the foundation of the world So he says depart leave you're not welcome you're cast out you're going into eternal fire which is fire that is eternal it's unforgettable it's unquenchable it's inescapable and he says it's prepared for the devil and his angels it is marked out for those marked out for destruction and then jesus gives the reason i was hungry you didn't feed me i was thirsty you didn't give me a drink i was a stranger you didn't welcome me and and it's shocking but verse 44 they answer back to god they are just shocked that they're not getting let in Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, or in prison and did not minister to you? They very well could have been the people that were ministering, serving people in these situations. He's going to answer them, verse 45. Amen, I say to you, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And it wasn't because they didn't have enough good works. It just wasn't that. They rejected the messengers of Jesus and the message they brought and ultimately rejected Christ they committed the unpardonable sin I talked to a lot of people who think they've committed the unpardonable sin they tell me what their sin is and I'm like ooh that's bad but it's not the unpardonable sin you're not going to hell for that sin you can confess that sin and repent of that sin and you'll be fine it's not the unpardonable sin ultimate rejection of christ that's the unpardonable sin condemned with those who reject christ the unpardonable sin is rejecting jesus finally and fully so jesus says in verse 46 these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life and daniel's prophecy in daniel chapter 12 is really echoed in these final words of Jesus' discourse here multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake some to eternal life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. We got a dog a couple months ago. This used to be a volleyball, it's tattered, it's torn. You hardly know what it is. Its name is not Wilson. But I'm telling you, this used to be a usable volleyball. Some people think that if you go to hell, you just get like vaporized in a moment. You get annihilated. That is not what happens when you go to hell. When you go to hell, you will be in everlasting fire that you'll be burning but not burnt up. You will be weeping and gnashing your teeth And it will continue over and over and over again you, you have no chance of repentance in hell It's just like this volleyball Unusable and really messed up Not annihilated It'll actually still hold air But still a volleyball Just a really messed up one So you go to hell You'll still be a person Just a really messed up one Forever Forever The emphasis throughout all of that discourse and really the, the Gospel of Matthew and really the whole Bible is that there are, are only two kinds of people. Two kinds of people. Those who have followed Jesus are actually with Him and they are, they are going to enjoy with Him life that is eternal. Those who have not followed Christ are actually against Him and will endure separation from Him in eternal punishment. I have a, a preacher friend who likes to say, believe it or rot. One will die eternally One will live eternally I think there's going to be a lot of people That will be surprised on that day A lot of goats Who are like Hey I got a free ticket into heaven God's going to say You're a goat Get out of here I think plenty of people Who have probably taken these verses Completely out of context And tried to practice A very dangerous form of self-righteousness They'll say Hey I did more than them So I get in I deserve it Jesus is going to come in magnificent glory and he's going to separate his people from Satan's people and then he is going to welcome his people into the presence of God and then he is going to send Satan's people into eternal punishment. End of story. It's a prophetic word from Christ. So how should this prophetic word from Christ affect you in your life? Some people will say, well, so what? I had a lot of bills to pay and i got other things to deal with and I've got my fire insurance so I really don't care. It should compel us, it should drive us to something bigger than ourselves. I think it ought to compel us to have, first of all, a a self-examining concern for our own souls. You should be very concerned about the destiny of your soul. But it shouldn't stop there It should drive you to a humanity Embracing compassion That says I'm concerned For the souls of others You should care about the souls Of others So let's look at this self, What would a self-examining concern For your own soul look like How should you care about your own soul First and foremost all people need to take notice That the final judgment is for real And it's not a laughing matter that we've all been forewarned if we've heard it we can't say well I've only heard it once I need to kind of warm up to the idea tough deal with it there's no excuse believe in the Lord Jesus Christ you'll be saved reject him you'll perish life or death that's the way it is and and you really can't miss the contrast in this passage right and left welcomed or, or getting or getting kicked out blessed or accursed Inheriting a kingdom or inheriting fire Prepared by God from the foundation of the world Or prepared for Satan and his angels Eternal life or eternal punishment I'm amazed at at the answers that we see in this passage The righteous answer Jesus And they are amazed that they're there They're amazed they're getting in Abject humility They're like, I can't believe it, I'm, I'm in On the other hand, the the goats answer astounded that they're not getting in. Complete pride. Complete self-righteousness. The final word, here's what you see here. The final word is God's. Everyone thinks that that God needs to adjust themselves to him. I mean, American Christianity has developed that you can buy tons of books that will show you how God should adjust to you. God's not going to adjust to anybody. What this passage is telling me is that you must adjust your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the judge. His answer is final. He is the mediator. Do you notice in this passage who's doing all the initiating? The Son of Man. The King. All judgment is His. The people who are going to be judged, without exception, the whole race of Adam. All human beings. And that's the way it's going to be With no exclusions here Everyone's going to stand before the judgment seat of God I like how one writer put it An old writer Says let us not be excuse me. Let us be concerned for the welfare Of our immortal interests Flee to the refuge set before us Improve our precious time Depend on the merits of the redeemer Adhere to the dictates of the divine word That we may be found of him in peace. I think we should be asking questions like, What's to come of me when I die? Am I going to heaven or hell? Based on what facts? Is it fire or peace for me? I think there's times in our lives when sobering realities like this should hit us like a ton of bricks. It should really almost overwhelm us. And we should we should accept the truth and adjust our lives accordingly. The most monumental of truths here is that final judgment is going to happen and there will be no do-overs. You can't take a mulligan on this one. No second chances. Hebrews 9 is very clear, very stark about it. Just as it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin. In other words, not to die again. He died once for all but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him if you aren't one of those you aren't getting rescued I think what stands out to me in this passage and what really leads me to awe inspired awestruck worship of Jesus is the fact that we are being called to adjust ourselves to him that he is so great that we must adjust ourselves to God's before the foundation of the world program God's not going to adjust himself to you I like how C.S. Lewis put it. You can cry and cry all you want, but at the end of the day, you need to decide what you're gonna do. Decide which side you're on. You trust and obey Jesus, you'll be saved. That's proof of life. You trusted him for salvation. Let's say you're a Christian. You say, I trusted him for salvation. What should I do now to the end of my life? Keep trusting and obeying Jesus. That will be proof that you have life in you. There'll be fruit coming out of your life. The Holy Spirit will be bringing forth fruit from your life. So you need to be really concerned about where you stand with God and make sure you don't trifle with your soul. Make sure you don't think that this is something you're going to do another day. You have to take care of it now. But it should not lead you just to go inward. It should lead you to look outward. And really that's the second idea. That there must be a humanity embracing compassion that we are all about. You should care about the souls of others to the point that you go out of your way in immeasurable in ways for them. Does the gospel change you? Does it get into every nook and cranny of your life? Does it reorient you? Does it unite the ununitable? Does it bring people together that wouldn't get along outside the church? The gospel transforms your life. You know what the gospel does? The gospel shatters your self-righteousness. The gospel shatters your sin categories. You know what I'm talking about? The categories that we make up that we say that person is not worthy to be with Christians. You have the categories. You've got to decide what's a heaven or hell issue. Is abortion a heaven or hell issue? Is homosexuality a heaven or hell issue? Is alcoholism a a, a heaven or hell issue? Is drug abuse a heaven or hell issue? Isn't it interesting that churches, Christians, will say, wow, there's all these things that we need to keep out of the church, but hey, it's okay to gossip, and it's okay to slander, and it's okay to talk behind my brother's back, because hey, and I can even be a glutton. Think about all the allowable sins in the Christian community. It's pretty sad, isn't it? How warped we get. Sometimes our our own good fervor for truth gets us way off track with Jesus. Jesus. Humanity embracing compassion? I tell you what, self-examining concern must necessarily equate to humanity embracing compassion that does not see colors, that does not see shapes, that does not see sizes, that does not see orientations. What it sees is people in need of a Savior. What it sees is people in need of the saving grace of God. I want you to imagine something with me right now and it's probably going to be a little bit difficult but just go with me on this. Imagine you're before a a great castle and there's this big castle and you want to go into the castle but you can't. Now the drawbridge is down the path seems open but there is a fire-breathing dragon that keeps breathing fire on you and singeing you and blocking your entrance to the castle. And you've lost all hope and you think you're never going to get there and so you, you ba- basically give up. And All of a sudden, out of the castle, rides a knight in shining armor across the countryside, comes up to you, scoops you up, puts you on the horse, rides you back into the castle, over the drawbridge, into safety. And they feed you And they clothe you And they give you shelter And you are at peace And for the very first time in your life When you go to bed that night You are secure You are safe Then you wake up the next morning You wake up the next morning And they hand you a suit of armor They lead you to the stables To pick out a horse And you don't even need any instructions You know exactly what you're going to do And you go out Across the moat Over the drawbridge And you go out And do the same thing that was done for you That's humanity embracing concern for the souls of others Christians are not saved just for their own benefit But to go and make disciples of all the nations Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom Will be preached And then the end will come What that means is that we need to include people There should be open hearts towards people that we don't have open hearts towards. That you adjust yourself to God's program because you're at his mercy and he's in control so you let him break up your stony heart that's been built up towards people. And there should be open doors. This should be the church of the open door. The door should always be open for anyone who wants to to come into this place and hear the gospel of the grace of God in Christ no sin category excluding no profiling figure it out what's a heaven or hell issue what's a heaven or hell issue James says the judge is at the door who's the judge Jesus is at the door the the, the judge what's he doing at the door he's waiting to come in the door and, and, and ultimately to shut the door one day the door will be shut Luke 13 tells us that But until then, the doors stay open for all to come. Just people who need Jesus that are all weighed down by sins. You, me, and the next person. Some people's sins go before them, parading in front of them. Other sins follow behind. Some people's sins are visible. Some people's sins are hidden. Everybody's needy. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We should not be celebrating sin. Nor should we be condoning sin. We should be confessing our sins. But we should not be condemning people for their sins. Remember Chick Hearn? He used to say the fridge door is closed. One day the door is going to be closed. Let God shut that door. He's the He's the judge. The gospel answer is don't exclude. One more thing before the worship team comes up. There must be not just open hearts and open doors, there must be open mouths speaking gospel truth. I think it's kind of weird sometimes because I know Christians who when it comes to the gospel, it's like they got a muzzle on. But then when they want to gossip, they take the muzzle off. And then when they want to slander, they take the muzzle off. When they, wanna, when they think about the gospel, the, the muzzle goes on. They're like, I'm just waiting for a good opportunity, but none are here. I, don't, I can't find any. They, they, they subjectively throw away all the good opportunities, but then they find wonderful opportunities to use their mouths in ways that don't honor God. By the way, the gospel is not primarily something we do. It is something that God has done for us in history it's the finished work of christ we're not called by the way to be the good news i've heard that i think way too many times you're called to be the good news we're called to live the good news we're called to proclaim the good news we have opinions about all sorts of things and we feel very free to share them but often way too silent about the gospel we need to ask god to unloose our tongues to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light Let's use our, our voices and our words to, to spread the good news. But remember this the inbreaking of the kingdom of God is bad news for those who oppose God and reject trusting in Christ. Be remember that. It's going to come down to what did you do with Jesus? This last weekend in China, some a weird thing happened. Weird thing happened. Worship team's gonna come up now. Or I'll sing the last song. I'll lead you in that last song. There was this, five workmen in China watching in horror as a little two-year-old girl clung by her fingertips to a windowsill five stories up. Her parents were asleep. She woke up from a nap. She crawled out onto the window And she was dangling there and these workmen were just beside themselves. I watched the video of it. They were beside themselves. Just, what do we do? So they start yelling to her. They say, you know, let go! Jump! She lets go. She's plunging to the ground. They're all like kind of moving to see Where they should go to try to catch her. They caught her. She got away with a little nick, little cut on her on her neck. Two of the guys got hurt helping her. But see, they they told her what to do, and they backed it up by catching her. Salvation is a dramatic rescue. very dramatic rescue we need to tell people that they need to repent of their sins and believe in the lord jesus christ for forgiveness of sins we need to tell people that god sent his son to bear the just wrath against sin we need to tell them that they need to receive the kingdom of god humbly like a child dependently like little children we need to point them to the bullseye center of everything from which everything radiates out of Tell them to loosen their death grip on the windowsill of their life and trust Jesus to catch them. Lord God, we thank you that you are the one who came up with all these ideas about going to a cross and paying a a substitutionary penalty and redeeming lost sinners. Those of us, Lord, who cling to those truths praise you with everything in our being Lord I pray that those of us who know you would would show it in our lives that what people see in our life before we told them the gospel and what they see in our life after would not pull the rug out from underneath Lord we pray that you would get the congratulations that you would get the thank you's that you would get a hero's welcome at your return